So welcome to this episode of the Force North podcast. This week we have none less than Philip Ombreran, the uh, author of Scan Code. So welcome, Philip, and uh, perhaps an introduction of yourself. Yeah, so my name is Philippe Ombreran. I'm both a French citizen by birth and a US citizen by adoption, which makes me for a conflicted person, because these are two very arrogant countries. And... Um, I'm, I develop open source tools mostly for open source license and origin detection. And one of my claim to fame is that I have my name attached to a commit in the Linux kernel, which is one of the largest deletion of code commands. So I'm very good at deleting code commands in, in code. Uh, writing code is another question, but this deleting command I'm very good at. <laughs> One of the things we're obviously going to talk about is compliance and, and, and uh, this stuff. So I think we it's good if we all have a common ground on on the compliance part. So, what, Philip, can, what is compliance for you? Well, uh, compliance when it comes to licenses is it's a bit of unfortunate that every piece of software is licensed and there there are copyright laws which means that we have to abide by these terms. And, and compliance, just making sure that we can comply with these terms of license. Now, uh, in the world of uh, proprietary and commercial software, there's not two contracts which are the same. Pretty much every single software purchase has different terms, at least in the enterprise world. Uh, we've been a bit smarter in the world of uh, free and open source software where there, there's only a handful um, maybe up to thousands if you if you look at uh, oddities, different licenses. And at heart, complying means you know providing credits to the author of the software. That's the essence of most of the open source software licenses. Uh, in some cases, uh, providing the source code, uh, and in a few other cases, also providing some. Uh, change notification. So the gist of it about complying is ensuring you know what you have, that you credit the authors of the, the software that you, you reuse, and uh, in some cases, you redistribute and notify of any changes you have made to the software. Excellent. So, and where does scan code come in uh, into this picture? Well, in a perfect world, uh, there wouldn't be a tool like scan code. Uh, and everybody would know everything about the origin license of every bit of code you use. Uh, unfortunately, things are pretty messy out there. And scan code is a tool that detects the license uh, of the code that you use. So it finds license, copyrights, and package manifest information such that you can get the information and, and decide and understand what you need to do to comply, basically, because otherwise it's, it can be a bit uh, a bit messy. Uh, you, you may know that, but most, most of the software developers don't care too much for a license, and, and they would prefer that they would go away. So sometimes licensing information is a bit sketchy. Okay. Uh, and how does it work? Does it, it obviously looks at the source code, but the, uh, and uses some kind of database of, of known licenses, etc. But can you briefly describe how it works? Uh, it actually also looks at the binary, by the way. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's, it's essentially a search engine 
So similar to what you would do for Google, uh, except the, the parameters are very different. Google's has like billions and billions of files that are being indexed. And the queries are very short. You're, you're limited to 32 words at the time when you do a search on Google. Um, here, the, the, the index of known open source license text and mentions and, and tags and notices is in the range of about 20 to 30,000 different ones, some being very short, some being very large. So you can have a single word like GPL or MIT or a long license like the Afro GPL, which is like 30, 38 kilobytes. And so the index overall is, is in the range of a 20 to 30 megabytes. So that's not as big as Google, of course, right? <laughs> the difference is the query. <laughs> the query yeah. is your code and it's not 32 words. It can be gigabytes of code at a time. So, but the principle is the same. It's about searching. Uh, just the parameters of the search are very different. There are other tools that does a similar thing. Like we have, uh, and we're looking at exclusively at the open source or free software uh, tools here, like Fossology, and we have license. Oh, uh, speaking about being old here. I forgot the name. It's called License Check, I think. Yeah, so License Check is a tool from uh, Debian. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there, there's there's basically, there, there's many different ways you can you can go to the problem. It's a string search problem. And and you, you, you can solve it uh, in different ways. One of the very common way, most common ways to use regular expressions. That's the way Phosology and License Check works, for instance. So what's been done there is to manu manually accumulate and craft nice regular expression patterns that will try to catch common words that exist and common sentences that exist in, uh, in text that would be an indication that there is a software license. And it's, it's a bit complicated because these are handcrafted. That means uh, you need to pick the right things. They're both subject to false positives. That means if you've not picked the right sentence in a license, you will not find that. Um, so that's false negative, sorry. And false positive, which is uh, uh, you may have patterns that you've picked that may not always be uh, uh, for the license you wanted to detect, or they may not be uh, for a license at all. So that's the, the thing. That's one, one approach. The other approach is to uh, detect the distances between two texts. So say you have a source code file, it has some notice, and you're trying to find how far apart this text is from a collection of reference text. And that's the approach taken by another tool that you've probably used without even knowing it, which is called licensee. Uh, with TE at the end, that's the tool that's used by GitHub to display a batch for a project license on, on a project repository. So that's that's a statistical approach. You're, you're trying to find things that are close enough. Uh, the problems here are that it's difficult to deal with the fact that there may be more than one license in one file. 
because you don't know where to segment and how to cut uh, if there are more than one license, a part of a license, part of the text or source code that will match to one license, another part that will match to another one. So in practice, it, it works only for uh, whole license text and, and, and close similarities, otherwise it's really uh, uh, poor. There's a lot of tools in that space that uh, use the same approach. And uh, uh, in terms of technique, there's something called the edit distance and Levenstein edit distance in particular. They're trying to find how far apart two strings are. So that's the very common, the, the two most common uh, techniques. So and how, how is scan code different? So scan code is different because we don't use one technique, but we use several. And the key technique in the end is just a diff. And, and so a diff would mean that you have a, a text on the one end and you have another text on the other end and you're trying to find literally running a diff to find words that, that match and sequence that match and how much of that helps you score. But you can also visually see what was match and what wasn't. Um, the problem with a diff is that in practice, it's very hard to, to, to compute in, in the runtime that would make sense and that would be practical. Um, to give you a bit of an idea, Say you have 6,000 license texts in your reference database, license texts and, and license notices. So that's your index. And, and say that each of them, uh, so that's, that's your index. On, on the query side, say you scan the Linux kernel. So Linux kernel is roughly about 60,000 files. And I, I know that's way too much because I've scanned the Linux kernel tens and tens of or if not hundreds of times uh, when we were cleaning up the, the license of it uh, a couple of years ago. So 60,000 files times 6,000. You're trying to do a pairwise comparison, but each file on the license side, license index size may occur, each license may be found more than once in each file. So let's say on average 10 times. You want to do 10 times 6,000 times 60,000 comparison. That's 60,000 times 60,000, that's uh, about 36 billions. And even if you had a very fast diff, like which would run in a millisecond, that would mean you, you probably would need to run uh, uh, for about a month just to scan one kernel. And if you were to do that, so about a thousand hours, if you, if you were to do that on a thousand machines, then you could do that in an hour, but the price would be prohibitive. The whole trick we have in scan code is trying to find ways you can eventually do a diff without having to pay uh, either the weight of uh, one month or $10,000 uh, to do your scan. And, and the way we do that is uh, uh, by, by using multiple techniques. So the first technique is uh, uh, very simply, you, you, you hash the text, but you make it in such a way that it's uh, um, not dependent on formatting and, and white space and all that stuff. You lowercase everything and, and you take a hash and you verify whether it's a whole license like that, so, which is a way to find obvious simple things like a whole verbatim text of the GPL. Um, though, just as a side note, there's more than one text of the GPL2, for instance. 
at, at the last count, there's more than 10 different versions that were published by the Free Software Foundation. It's just a, a side friendly note. Um, so you hash. The second thing is you find uh, text that may occur verbatim inside other text. And, and you use automaton, automaton for that. So it's, it's, uh, there's a very old uh, algorithm called Aoparasic, which dates from uh, 1975. So that's very old by any standards, uh, in computing. It's about 45 years old and which is a way to originally designed to find quickly words in a dictionary. And we use that to find fragments of licenses and uh, uh, notices that may exist as is in a text. And that's the second technique. The third technique is essentially a search engine approach where you use an inverted index, but using bit vectors for optimization, which allows to rank the things we've not detected before uh, from the most likely to be a license text of this or this license to the least likely. And using this ranking, then we do a pairwise diff, but only on a subset. And we don't do like uh, billions of diff, but just the few diffs that would be needed if they haven't been caught in the, the previous steps. So, I mean, I guess uh, when, there's a, when there's a hash match for the whole file, then you can stop at that point, right? Yes, that's the but, whole point. But, so, yeah, but if if it's not a hash a hash match, then you basically almost have to do all the other techniques to be sure, right? Yes. So so basically, yes. But as you progress, you keep track of the the portion of the text that have no matches, oh, um, which means sort of. Yeah. So say say you take an example of uh, a maximal mixed license notice, which you may find in your phone, whether it's an Android or an Android or an iPhone. Mm. <laughs> you, you go to the settings, there's a legal page that lists typically hundreds of pages of uh, open source license notices. And, and they're a good uh, test bed because it's a lot of licenses, right? So it's not only about like it's only about licenses, a lot of licenses, but there's also some comments at times. Um, eventually, uh, you you end up with regions of text that don't have anything but maybe some copyright statements, and therefore there's no thing that will be found uh, when you do any kind of ranking with the, the inverted index step. So you don't, never need to do a diff. The, I noticed that the output of uh, scan code, uh, the JSON output, is is licensed. Uh, can you explain why you do that? Uh, well, it's it's a disclaimer mm -hmm. to, to ensure that uh, folks don't rely on it as being uh, uh, legally valid information. There's actually I I know there are some large corporations that use that and they they really use it in some cases almost as is and take the output as being the, the source of uh, disclosure and notices they provide to uh, other folks. So we want to make sure that they, they don't, uh, we don't get caught uh, being a small flies uh, be, by, by a big hammer when, when these corporations may, <laughs> may, may use and rely on that information. Uh, frankly, uh, that's something actually we're, we're getting read in the next releases uh, pretty soon. Um, 
it's doesn't it's not super helpful and it's not a big delay or one way or the other it's it's just a disclaimer that we include in the output okay but there's uh some kind of statement saying that uh, i must give credit as well to scan code when using the scan code output am i right it's so the, the credits are included in the output in that sense yeah. it's similar to the kind of things you would have with a, a bison uh, uh, skeleton, parser skeleton, if you know about the, the Bison uh, lexer and parser. Mm. Um, so it's included systematically in the output. Uh, the primary reason has been to, to be a legal disclaimer, but in the end, uh, we already have a legal disclaimer in the Apache license that we use anyway. So it's a bit redundant. And as I said, that's something uh -huh. we're getting rid of because it's, it's really redundant. So it doesn't bring anything special compared to the, the bare uh, Apache license. Okay, so in my work, I, I, I work mainly, I would say, with compliance issues. Uh, and what I see when I look at tools is basically two strategies or approaches to do compliance. It's the centralized like approach where you have a legal department, dedicated engineers that do all the compliance work. And then you have the decentralized where you give some response or perhaps even a lot of responsibilities to the developers, to the development teams, et cetera. And perhaps you call in the legal team when there's a tough case. What do you, do you have any ideas on this? Well, I don't have, I have preferences, uh, but mm -hmm. we're, we, we don't want to suggest any, any preferences there. And you can you can go any way you want with scan code. Um, personally, I would prefer to actually decentralize the work. That means empower everyone that develops software and that eventually includes third-party code uh, in their own software project to ensure that they, they understand what they're doing, what's the license, um, and run the tools to do that. Uh, but we don't we don't promote that in any way, shape, or form, uh, except that the tools being command line and easy to install and deploy uh, enable that. Uh, the approach where you have a centralized, strictly centralized, everything centralized usually has a real hard time to scale. So I know several companies that do that. Uh, usually doesn't scale very well because you you end up having a a dedicated function that owns the thing, and uh, you're always in a catch-up mode with what the software developers are effectively doing in terms of reusing third-party code. And uh, where, where you get the best of both worlds is uh, when you can have developers which understand and are enabled to, to do their own uh, discovery and, and choices about license, plus the ability for uh, legal team to to verify and ensure that there's no unknown unknowns that that are and, and liabilities that are being uh, uh, acquired by uh, software robots and in earnest the, the biggest problem actually is not so much free and open source software but would be more uh, when it comes from proprietary and commercial software you have much more risks in using commercial software license-wise than you would ever have with free and open source software. 
When it comes to, to the developers and understanding licenses, do, do um, what's your experience there? Do are, do one need to to educate them or tool enough to sort of highlight the issues and then they learn by by reading the tool warning, so to speak? They they learn a lot, but there's a. So I think things are, are, are getting much better than it was a, a few years ago. Uh, very often a few years ago, I would see software developers saying, hey, we're using software, it's free, so it's it's okay. And free meaning literally, I was able to download it from the internet, therefore it's free. Um, <laughs> which is uh, uh, still the case, but more and more folks tend to understand a bit more uh, what free and open source software license mean. Um, I guess where there's a lot of education that needs to be done is uh, around copyleft license, where very often you see blanket policy saying copyleft bad. And that's not mm. the case. I mean, copyleft license are not bad. They're essential. They're a good tool. and you can use them in in a commercial and proper setting uh, most of the time without any problems. Just ensure that you, you are uh, complying, uh, which in the vast majority of the cases is uh, both straightforward, simple, and much simpler than whatever you would need to do for from a commercial point of view uh, with proprietary software. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. The Scan code and the other tool. Let's go into the other tools later on. But it's developed in the open. Um, yeah. Asking why might be <laughs> so. What's the strategy behind that? Well, uh, so business-wise, so I'm the CTO of a company called Nextbee, and uh, we, <laughs> for better or worse, uh, I like to say, even if it sounds like big words, I mean, we're on a mission, so we're a bit mission-driven. Our mission is to ensure that uh, everyone can use more free and open source software uh, better, faster, and more efficiently. And eventually, uh, if you use a lot of it, you end up with a problem of uh, volume. And if any of you have ever used or developed using, for instance, uh, uh, Node, NPMs, JavaScript, it's very easy to build a, an application that has several hundreds, if not thousands of dependencies. That means you have thousand packages, potentially thousands of authors, origins, and licenses to deal with. So it's very easy to have a lot of that. Uh, our, our approach is simple business-wise. We have tools that help you uncover the origin license of code and more. And they're all free and open source. And we have one commercial product, which is for software teams, business teams, to help them deal with the volume of having multiple products and potentially tens of thousands uh, of third-party origin to track with, to track and, and comply. So uh, that's that's the reason why. And and I think it's the, it's a good. Uh, mix for us we're also offering services but there's no like uh, can bet and switch or open core uh, things that's going on there's really tools that deal with code and 
tools that deals with a, a, the problems of uh, uh, business teams. One is commercial, one is, and the rest are, are free and open source. Cool. So what's the uh, pros, what's the benefits of, of doing it in the open? Oh, the benefit of doing it in the open is, uh, is very simple. First, you, you, you have many more users um, and you can drive the, the, the direction, the sense that makes sense. You, you, you can also have other tools that build on that. Uh, so there are several tools that, that, that are embedding scan code. Uh, it's used, for instance, uh, well, actually, no. It's, it's used, for instance, at ORT. I know it's used in, in large open source foundation, like uh, the Object Web, OW2, at the Eclipse Foundation. I know that folks at the Free Software Foundation and maybe Free Software Foundation Europe also use some of it. So uh, being able to to use that is great. I get we get a lot of feedback also based on that. So it helps make the tool, the tool better. It's used by OpenShift uh, at Red Hat. I know, and we've received contributions from all place from lawyers, which would be a bit surprising for. <clears throat> for a software tool, but it has a lot of licenses. It's about licenses. We received, we have quite a, quite a few uh, users that are themselves lawyers and, and that are able to contribute with what they know best, which is legal text. Uh, do you see any drawbacks on, on doing it in the open? Mm, so <laughs> that's not specific to, to, to scan code, but any open source project, you always have to, to determine uh, mm how much time you want to devote to the the more exotic issues or platforms. Uh, for instance, uh, if somebody cannot run uh, scan code on uh, an older CentOS 32 bits uh, customized to run on Amazon Web Service, is it worse for me to uh, treat that as a bug or not? That's the kind of thing that's difficult. Uh, uh, so odd platforms and or odd configurations sometimes uh, you're always tempted to fix every bug and trying to resist not fixing every bug is, is the difficult thing because my natural tendency and natural tendency of everyone when, when you do this kind of thing is to be helpful and you want to, to have every of your users and every one of users to be uh, helped and satisfied and you really have sometimes folks that comes with a really odd request and or odd architecture, odd environments, and that's always uh, difficult to say no. Yeah. When it comes to working in the open, how, how large would you say that the com community is around the tool? Do, do you get lots of external contributions or how does it look? Um, so we're, we're getting contributions. It's, it's hard to actually, I, I, I wouldn't know exactly because I didn't measure that. I know there's there's a couple hundred forks of folks out there, so that's one one data point. There's over a thousand stars, if that means anything, on GitHub. So the second data point, and we have a chat channel uh, for scan code toolkit and on our projects on Gitter, where the, there's about uh, six or seven hundred people. So that's that's some point in terms of contributors. Uh, I'd say we have probably over the years received contributions 
serious contributions from probably roughly 20 to 30 people. And we may have uh, up to 80 different contributors. So um, that would be the, the order of, uh, of magnitude of the, the contributions. Uh, I, I assume that there's probably one contributor for every thousand users, roughly. Um, so if you say 80, 80, user, 80 contributors, that's probably 80,000 users. Um, that, that would be a rule of thumbs, rough, rough, very rough for all some, based on, on previous projects I've, I've managed in the past, which were probably yeah. even more successful than scan code. I bet there are more users of the program LS than there are scan code. So it's a relative narrow scope. Uh, yes. About it. Oh, yeah, yeah. What is the difference between scancode.io and scancode? Oh, so scancode.io is a new tool um, that's just emerging. Actually, it's not been much publicized or announced yet. Uh, we're working on, on the announcement and wrapping on some documentation. It's a tool very much, I mean, very simply to run scan code on the server. So it's it's database back. So as opposed to just being a, a tool that you run on the command line, you install it with a, a Postgres database, and you can run scans on the server and store scans. The, the difference also is that it's not only a tool to run scans, but it's also a tool to organize uh, what I would call pipelines of uh, code analysis, um, where you can have multiple steps and do complex things. One of the first uh, example is to analyze Docker images. And, and so Docker images, they're, they're eventually as complex as a, a full Linux installation. You have a whole user space minus the so it's like a linux installation minus the kernel right so uh, you you have eventually a lot of system package uh, linux package application packages and and custom code that ends up in these images uh, furthermore it's combined in uh, uh, what's called images and layers uh, where you may have uh, in one of these file system slice uh, bash that's installed, it could be removed on the next one. So we may have multiple versions of the same package, which makes things a bit uh, complicated. And so what you want to do there is for this kind of analysis is ensure that you can go in multiple steps in the analysis pipeline, um, which is arbitrarily complicated in some case uh, to do not one scan, but multiple focus scans on a specific area and domain. Um, take another example. Uh, you may not want always to scan everything the same way. If you find that you have a majority of Java jars in a directory, maybe the techniques you will use to scan in that directory would not be just the, the random well, not the random, but the base common scan that you were doing everywhere, but you may want to look very specifically at things that exist in the Maven file. You could do in the future some lookups specifically on uh, the jars in an index of uh, Maven jars, for instance, these kind of things. So the whole idea of the, the, the pipelines in ScanCode.io 
is to be able to organize smarter analysis that would not be just one scan, but multiple focus scan uh, to, to, to determine the whole origin license of, of the code uh, you, you're dealing with. So, so I guess I guess one of the uh, upsides with running it on a server, which which is a more pers persistent setup, is that you can cache the results, right? So that if if you have already scanned and sort of you have a result, so that you know the license of some things. Once you build on top of that, you could uh, you could save yourself some work. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So that's definitely uh, so that's not implemented yet, but that's definitely a part of the deal. And part of the plan is that you can capitalize that. So the the way we're we're doing it there is that there's several initiatives that are going on. One, which is a bit of a legacy for me, which is a project called Clearly Defined uh, uh, that I co-founded with other folks, but it's primarily led by folks from Microsoft. Uh, and it's it's a project at the opensource.org organization, so uh, incubating at the OSI, which is eventually running scans with scan code on millions of packages, and and then trying to review these after the fact. Oh, yeah. uh, so you already have there about 10 million-ish scans uh, available, except they're, they're slightly outdated, older versions of scan code. Um, and uh, the, the, the data are not really ready, readily accessible and consumable by everyone. Uh, you have a, not too clunky, but a bit of a clunky API, and you cannot really download everything. Um, so uh, we're working separately on another project that will be called, at least for now, very simply, the package DB, the package database, where the goal is very simply to have a database of all the package metadata plus the scan and make this both entirely open, but also really easy for everyone to contribute to and consume and download and share. So that's one thing. And, and where you would have also all the scans available, but uh, up to the scans uh, and with a scan code at your server on the back end too. Plus the second thing is uh, to, to organize campaigns with specific package ecosystems to help fix things up. Um, so for instance, uh, I'm, I'm discussing with the folks from Perl to do a massive campaign of scanning for license of all the Perl packages. And we would run that with scan code. And then we want to apply heuristics and some simple machine learning on top of that to determine whether the scan and license information are, are okay and acceptable and clear. And if they're not, so we can organize a community review with the, the Perl community to determine where we have issues so they can be fixed and, and help educate uh, and fix upstream in each of the package the, the, the license information. The goal is that if it's clean and clear, it's better for everyone. It's better for the users, but it's also better for the authors themselves. So uh, it's similar to, to something I had done a couple of years ago on the Linux kernel, which was trying to, to clarify a bit the, the licensing there, but we're trying to do that potentially uh, not 
for one project, albeit a large one like the kernel, but doing it for a whole ecosystem at once. So potentially Python. I mean, some areas where, which are a bit gray in terms of licensing today uh, include the, uh, uh, so Nugget, but that's a, a problem that Microsoft's taken care of, taking care of with, uh, with a clearly defined project. Uh, but Java, Java is an area where licensing information is very scarce when you use uh, uh, Gradle and, and Java in general. It's hard to go and find correct license metadata information. So uh, there will be an example. Uh, Python is, a, is dear to and close to uh, what we use and dear to my heart. And so I'm working closely with the Python community there to uh, first trying to adopt uh, better license documentation practices for the Python package. And uh, and after that, probably trying to do some kind of massing scan campaign too at the same time. Okay, thank you. The, we're running a bit out of time. So we're going for the last question here. The, uh, we listened to your talk at SFSCon a couple of weeks ago and where you talked about small size businesses and, and compliance. Can you describe what you talk talked about there? Yeah. So the the, the gist of it there is that uh, very often there's a, so you have a lot of commercial software companies in that space that are trying to sell you a lot of stuff, which I think is is fine and jolly. Uh, in the case of small businesses, the the key takeaway is that you don't need to buy commercial software for now, most likely. You can go and do most of what you need with a tiny bit of processes and a tiny bit of free and open source tools. So that's one 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 takeaway. The other takeaway is in terms of the the hierarchy of uh, uh, processes that you can put in place. Uh, you need to start with something very simple and and avoid jumping the gun to something too complex. And the third thing is that that was more on the legal side, which is really the, the key risk from a legal perspective when you use software today and free and open source software are more on the commercial and proprietary side. In particular, um, when you have a company that provides draw license, so therefore the same code or similar offering under a free and open source license on the one end and a commercial license on the other end, very often with a, a copyleft or from copyleft. Um, that's where you want to, to be the most careful because there's a strong incentive for them to, to ensure that you switch to a paying plan. So that's, that was the, 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 some of the key takeaways of uh, the presentation there. It's, it's kind of hard to find a good, what should I say, a good workflow documented online. And this, so for, for small businesses saying like, uh, this is how you start doing compliance and this is the end result. That's true. That's, that's actually a bit missing today. There's, a, there's, there's an exercise and an initiative called Open Chain but it's mm. more geared towards the need of large companies. So it's not really yeah, adapted absolutely. to smaller, smaller companies. Uh, there's, a, uh, there's one example of a simple policy on the site called the Bureau Council that I know of, but having a simple 
small business focused document that will explain in a few pages so that mm. will be brief also and not hundreds of pages not a compendium basically uh, it there's no such thing at the moment and and that would be definitely something interesting to do okay so perhaps we should end this uh, session here by putting this on our to-do list this the never-ending to-do list okay uh, on behalf of everyone great having you here thanks for, for being here and thank you a lot from everyone for your tools that are providing a great like resource for so many people I know, including lawyers, as you mentioned before. So 200, thanks for, for everything. Well, I'm having a lot of fun with doing that and it was really a blast uh, to discuss with you guys. So thank you for, for having me. Well, thanks for coming. Yeah, good thanks. Fun.